So we all together are in this series on relationships called Relationology, right? Which is a great thing because you all have relationships. That's what makes the world go around. I mean, we can't do life without relationships. They are a pivotal part of everyday life. And we need help in that, right? They don't just come with like a user's manual. We have a tendency, you and I have a tendency to mess up relationships. And you have probably lived through that, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so we are taking these next weeks and we're talking about that real practically. And I wanted to show you a fun video to start hey, guess us off. what? Roger finally finished refurbishing his dad's old bay boat. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's amazing. He said he wants to take all the guys out this weekend, you know, do a little fishing. He said it's going to be epic. But I told him, I told him I'm not planning on going, you know. I mean, it's our anniversary weekend, right? No, you should totally go. No. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. I'll be right back. I'm going to get some, uh, some croutons. What? She said it was okay. Yeah, that's not what she means. What she's really saying, Tim, is that she thinks you're an idiot for trading in your anniversary for a trip where you're just going to get sunburned and not catch any fish anyway. Really? Really. What should I say? You think these jeans make me look fat? Nope. Right? Because sometimes, fellas especially, we need a little bit of help. Uh, so we are talking about that, and we're talking specifically about two things today that will make or break your relationships. Two things that will build up and give you the relationship that you want, or that will totally undermine your best efforts. And those things are how well you listen, and how intentional you are with your words. How well you listen and how intentional you are about the words that you speak. Look at James chapter 1. We are going to be in the book of James. If you have Bibles, turn to James chapter 3. We're going to get there in a minute. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, you can take one home with you. We have them here. You can put your name in it, make it yours, you know, put it by your bedside, whatever. They're great. If you uh, don't, you know, don't ask anyone here to sign it because we didn't write it. You know, that we believe that God spoke to authors and they wrote down those words. So we're going to be in James chapter 3, but starting first right now in James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because, angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Everyone should be slow or should be quick to listen and slow to speak. When he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, he's saying, hey, this is important. Listen, listen, pay attention. This is, this is a big one for your relationships. Be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. As you look back at this last week, look at your home life, look at your conversations, look at how you interacted and were in your workplace and evaluate, was I quick to listen or was I quick to speak and get my words out there? Was I quick to listen and understand? Or was I quick to be understood? And then was I slow to speak 
and process with this person and listen to them first? Or was I quick to speak, right? How did you just kind of, as you think in your own mind about your week, where do you tend to fall on that scale? Because as we grow older, this gets more difficult. When you were a kid and your parents wanted your attention, they would literally grab your face, right? They would grab your face and they would turn it to them and they would say, pay attention to me. You know, they got your attention and you do that probably to your kids. If we did that to one another today, it would be a little bit socially awkward. You know, I'm not sure if I really wanted to get your attention, uh, how well that would go. Some of you, if you fall asleep in this service today, I could yell at you and say, pay attention. I mean, I could crawl back, but I'm not going to do that. So just, just know as you get older, this gets more difficult when you were kids in school, and some of you are still in school, and a teacher wants to get your attention, what do they do? What do do they do to get your attention? They slap a ruler, they yell at you. I've seen someone throw chalk, uh, and then someone, you know, the, the, the classic thing is, kids, 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 look, 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 listen, 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 right? Getting your attention, pay attention, this is important, look up this way. But as we get older, we don't do that. We, we mind our kind of social P's and Q's, and we, we aren't quick to pay attention. We, are, we get self-absorbed, we do our own thing, and we miss things that go on around us. That's just how it works. So if we think back again to when we were a kid, what did you do before you crossed the street? What were you taught? Look both ways. And the words on your outline that I gave you as a feed are, stop, look, listen. When you get to the sidewalk, you stop. You stop what you're doing. You look both ways. You listen to see if there's cars coming that you can't see yet, right? Stop, look, listen. When you want to pay attention, when you are engaged in conversation, when you know this is a relationship that matters. You can't do this in every single relationship, right? Because it just gets overwhelming. It gets out of control and you don't have the time in every single interaction to do this. But in the relationships that God prompts you and in your most important relationships, you better develop this pattern to stop what you're doing, to disconnect. Now, what are the things that are distracting us all the time? Just name them right now real quick cell phones, like a leash on your body, right? What else? Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, computers, games, angry birds, right? I mean, whatever else. These are the distractions that you must stop if you're going to listen. Television shows, movies. If you are going to show somebody else that you value them in conversation and you are intentional about building this relationship, you must learn to stop the other things that you're doing and pay attention. Look at what they're saying to you. Look, look beyond just the words that they're speaking, and look at where these words are coming from. My wife recently, she, she told me that she thought that we needed to spend, she said, can you come home a little bit early today? I think we need to spend some extra time together. And I thought to myself, what, really? I mean, like, I didn't say this out loud, but I thought, we've been spending quite a bit, like, we're okay. Like, we, we you know, we did stuff last night, and we, you know, this week has not been, like, too bad, right? But then I needed to like stop and look beyond just the words and realize that we're about to have a kid like any day now. And she is looking to a future that is uncertain and will never be the same again. And there is something behind the words that she's speaking to me. Stop. Look at the person. See what it is that they're really saying. And listen. Listen not just to hear but to understand. Listen to what is being spoken to you. 
Proverbs 17, 28 says, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent and their mouths shut. They seem intelligent. Uh, Abe Lincoln is credited as saying this, that it's better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. (laughs) Because, friends, your words have the power of life and death. Your words have the power of life and death. Look at this next proverb. It says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. As a part of preparing to have our kid, we get a tour of the hospital, which is awesome. Uh, In that process, I heard a story. I heard a story that happened in a hospital room quite a few years ago. There were these two men. They were very old. They, They were both bound to their hospital beds. They were on their last leg. They were on their way out, and they couldn't even get up from their hospital beds, and they shared a room together. One man was up against the window and could look and see out. The other man was on the other side of the room and couldn't see out the window. So the man that's on the opposite side of the room one day, as he's getting to know his, his buddy on the other side, he asks him if he can describe what's out that window. It's been weeks now, maybe months, since he's been outdoors. And so he said, can you just, can you just describe for me what you see? So the man in his bed that's next to the window starts to tell him, oh, it's beautiful. There's grass and there's trees and I see some kids playing. And every day, the man by the window would tell this guy what was going on outside. Maybe it was raining or maybe it was bright and sunny. It was a beautiful day, whatever the case may be. One day, he described this incredible parade that was passing by. And he gave details about the floats and about everything as it went across and the, and the celebration and how beautiful it looked and the pace. And, and when it ended, he said, oh, just such a glorious thing. What a great thing. And so the person that wasn't at the window was just, he just was taking it all in and imagining it in his mind. And it helped him. It encouraged him. So one morning, the guy on the far side wakes up and his buddy by the window isn't there. A nurse comes in, and he asks what happened, and she says, well, he passed away in his sleep last night. And so they had taken him out. After an appropriate amount of time went by, the gentleman on the other bed asked the nurse if he could maybe move over to the bed by the window. And she said, of course, and she moved him over to the bed by the window. And when he got there, he looked outside the window, and he saw a brick wall. And he says to the nurse the next time she comes back in, can you tell me about that guy that just died recently? Because he he described for me, like, that there was all this this stuff going on out here, and it's actually just just this wall. And she laughed, and she said, he did, huh? That man was blind. He couldn't even see. Friends, your words have the power of life and death. You can use your words to create life for yourself and for others. Your words that you speak, what you choose to say in your next interaction later on today with your family in your workplace, they have the power to bring about life and they have the power to bring about death. Look at James chapter 3. Verse 3, it says, When we put 
bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Stop there. He's talking about the tongue. He's talking about our mouth. He's talking about the power of our words. And he says, like our tongue, like the words that we speak, it's similar to a horse. I couldn't bring an actual horse up here today, unfortunately, even though they're so close. It's the other side of the street. You know, I thought about it, but I didn't. So we just had this picture. You'll have to just envision you, if you've ever been on a horse, that that little tiny bit that they put in his mouth, with that bit, they have control over that huge beast. And with that bit, they can turn the horse one way or another. They have control over it like they wouldn't otherwise have. Similarly, your words can turn your life. Your words have the power to turn things in life. I played volleyball growing up. I had some great coaches along the way. In college, I had a tough coach. He never said anything positive. He tore players down all the time. In fact, every year, we had half the team quit. Basically, if you weren't playing or if you weren't getting a scholarship, you would quit because it was just so brutal. He just, he's just a brutal guy to be around. Never affirmed, never built up, just kind of pitted guys against each other and created a tough environment to want to play in. Because of that man, several of my friends have since, since those days never again picked up a volleyball. He turned them off from, of the sport completely. Similarly, I had, at the same time, at USC, I had a professor who turned the course of my academic career and even maybe set me on the path that I'm on. I was taking different classes. It didn't work out too well in finance. didn't work out too well here. I consistently found myself right in the middle of that bell curve. And then I came across this communications class, and I gave my first presentation, and she had me stay after after my presentation, and she said, you are good at this. You can do this. I think you're made for this. This is where you should be. I can help you get better. This will be great. And so I became a business communication major, and that set, that set me, that turned me from where I was to, where, to a new place where I was headed. Your words have the power to turn your life and the lives of people around you. Your words have that power. The verse goes on in verse 4. It says, or take, ship, take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. The word here is steered. Your life is steered by the choices that you make with your words. Your tongue, your words are steering you. Do you know where? Do you know where you're going? Do you know where your words are taking you in your relationships, in your life, in what you believe about yourself? Do you know where they're steering you? There was, I was in a, uh, uh, the airport not too long ago, and there was this woman who was at the, you know, buying the magazines and the candy and the water. I think I was flipping through a fast company or something, and she's uh, not too far away from me, and I just overhear her. I can see her son who's in the candy, and I can see he's kind of, he's kind of wrestling through, kind of grabbing some candy, and I, and I hear her say to him, she says, what are, you, what are you doing? I didn't tell you you could get any candy. What are, you, what are you doing? Did you have any in your pockets? And she came up to him, and she feels his pockets, and she grabs him by the arm, and they walk out of there, and she says, kid, I just know you are going to end up in prison one day. 
But how often do people predict the future of their kids? And then their kids end up there. It's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. They are just living out the expectation that was placed on them. Your words have the power of life and death. When Hill and I first got married, uh, I, had a, I, I, was, I was critical. I was, I'm critical of myself in my own head. And so when things, if I don't feel like I'm far enough along or I didn't get this right or I'm not doing this well enough, I'm critical of myself. So when someone is close to me, i.e. my wife, I then become critical of her. And so when we first got married, I, I was critical. I, I was kind of nitpicky and, and I made her feel badly. And I was steering our marriage toward a destructive end. She did not enjoy it. She did not appreciate it. It was not a healthy thing for her, and, and she was kind of sick and tired of it. It changed because when her mom got pancreatic cancer and we moved up to Washington and I saw I was with her, I watched those last days and those last weeks. I saw how she loved her mom so well. I saw her mom maximize those last days, and I saw how precious life is, and I thought, what is wrong with me? And something clicked in me, and I just wanted to celebrate more and criticize less in my own head and certainly those around me because your words have the power to steer life. Your words are steering you in one direction or another. Do you know what that is? Do you know where they're taking you? The Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of your mouth is what you're thinking in your heart. But did you know that you can also reverse that flow? Did you know that you can speak new truths into your heart? That you can speak new belief into your soul? That you can reverse that? That you can speak the truth until you believe it and begin to steer yourself with God's truth in the direction that's honoring to him. So our, our words, our tongue are like horse, like a horse, like you know, those three words on your account. Don't say them fast. I almost just did, and that could be dangerous. <clears throat> but they're also, they're also, you're practicing. No, just, just trust me. Also like a flame. Look at the next verse. Likewise, verse five, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. A fire, friends, if our words are a spark that can ignite a fire, a fire can do one of two things. We use, we use the term fire to talk about passion, right? To talk about igniting a passion. It can also ignite destruction. Your words can go in either direction. You could ignite passion or you can ignite destruction. Your words have that power. Somebody said that in the absence of new information, our minds will maintain what's already there. So, you have things playing in your mind like tape recorders that were spoken over you when you were a kid. And until you change that, until you replace those tapes, until you replace those things with new truths, your mind will rely on what's already there. And we do that to our kids and to other people that we love. We give them these things that they believe that are in their heads that, that, that are not probably, in, in a lot of cases, helping them get to where they want to go. 
our minds will cling to those things with a lack of, of, of new information. It's, it's like the example from The Help. Do you remember The Help? Such a good movie. And so, so this woman is taking care of, the, of this spoiled white family's kid, and the, and the mom totally neglects her kids. And so this kid, this little girl, this precious little girl is growing up thinking that her mom hates her and doesn't, doesn't care about her. But this sweet woman who is taking care of her reminds her every day of what's important. Remember what she says? You is kind, you is smart, you is important. She is retraining this girl's mind. She is putting truth in her head because she knows that words have the power of life and death. And she is trying to spark passion into this little girl. And you can use your words, yes, to turn a life, to steer your own life, to steer your business, to steer into the future, and to spark hope and passion and belief and conviction and faith in yourself and in others. That is the power of your tongue. That is the power of the words that you choose to speak because our words have the power of life and of death. Look at James 3, 9 and 10 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be so. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This mixture should not be. Yes, you praise. Yes, you say some good things, but then you turn around and you gossip and you backstab or you criticize and you're putting, you're putting thoughts, you're putting ideas into other people's mind that, well, you don't know this, but your words have power, and they might play like tapes. Words are easy to say and really tough to forget. And so with your words, will you bring life? Will you bring encouragement? Will you bring passion? Will you bring hope? Will you bring belief? Will you bring conviction? Will you let someone know who they are, how valuable they are in God's eyes, instead of the opposite? That's the challenge for us today. That we want our words, our life to speak, to encourage, to bring more life. What if, friends, what if you were someone who used your words to turn lives for the good? What would it look like in your day tomorrow at work or in your home or wherever you are, to turn something to the good with your words? What would it look like to change the direction that your life is being steered by the words that you choose? What would it look like to spark passion, confidence in somebody else by the loving words that you choose to share with them? In your outline, I've got a few more words. At the bottom, it says words with family, words with others, words with self. Think in those contexts. Think in your home. Are the words that you're choosing in your home steering you to the future, to the life that honors God and the place that you want to be? Or are your words subtly doing something else and maybe not subtly? Are your words sparking encouragement in the life of someone else? Or are they tearing down? And at work, are you bringing life to your workplace, to your gym, wherever you are? Are you bringing life with your words or doing something else? Look at these verses. Gentle words are a tree of life 
It says in your outline, a gentle answer deflects anger. An encouraging word cheers a person up. Your words matter. They matter. There's a famous author and kind of leadership guru. His name is Ken Blanchard. He wrote uh, The One Minute Manager. Some of you probably read that. He tells a story about when he once was invited to come and speak to a large chain of grocery stores. I don't remember which grocery store it was, but I know that there were about 3,000 plus people in attendance, and they worked for this one grocery store chain, anywhere from management all the way down to the stockers and the checkout people. So Ken is giving this message about how to be a blessing at work. He, this guy is a believer, and so he weaves kind of spiritual truth into all his presentations. And he's telling them about the power of their words to encourage, to speak life. He's telling them when they show up for work to give their best because they never know who they're interacting with and what it could do to set their day on a new trajectory. And so he's encouraging them with that. And there's one guy in the crowd who took that message very seriously. His name was Johnny, and Johnny has Down syndrome, and Johnny worked as the bagger at his local grocery store. So you would come and you would buy your groceries, and they would come along the conveyor belt thing, and then he would take them and he would put them in the bags. Johnny was inspired by this message, and he said, I'm going to do my part in my brief interaction with people, to steer them, to turn them, and to spark them for the good. And so he started, the very next day he started, and someone would come down his line, and he would, he would try to think of something encouraging to say, but he was kind of slow, and so he couldn't get it out the way he wanted to quickly enough as they kept going. So he went home, and he asked his parents for help, and they typed up about 100 different blessings that he wanted to give to people when they crossed through his line. And they cut him up with one of those paper cutters. He took him in a bucket. And he put him next to him at the checkout line. And every time he would pack someone's groceries, he would put the little blessing in the bag. And then he would say something, just kind of like the same sentence every time, just like, God loves you or God bless you. And they would take this bag and they would go. So several weeks after the Ken Blanchard event, the manager comes out onto the floor, and he, with his efficiency antennas up, he sees that one particular line is really, really long. And he walks out there, and he's got two other lights on at the different lines. And he says, hey, guys, there's, there's two more checkout lines that are open and available. Nobody moved. And they said back to the manager of the store, they said, no, 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 we want to stay in Johnny's line. We're here for Johnny. So the man went back to his office, and he wrote an email that got forwarded along to Ken Blanchard that said, Johnny is changing our store. Later, he reported that, he, that that one kid literally changed the culture of the store. And there were stories about that kid all over the town because one kid decided that he was going to use his words to bless. And he was going to take his opportunity, his moment in time with somebody, and he was going to use that 
to turn them in a positive direction, to steer them toward hope and encouragement, and to spark something positive, to point them in some way toward their creator, toward belief, toward a conviction that they mattered, that they were loved. Friends, your words have the power of life and death. Will you use them to build others up? Will you use your words to honor God? Will you use your words to to help the people around you know that they are loved by their God, that they have a purpose for their life, that they are beautiful in his sight? Will you use your words to build others up? Now, for some of you, I know that you want to do this, and maybe you have tried before, but you yourself are plagued by those words that are destructive, devastating, that were spoken over you at some time in your life. And so I want to help you replace those words, break those tapes, and focus on new things the way that God really sees you so that you can be someone who blesses other people. That's why in the back of your outline, I've given you a list of things that God says about you. And I want you to look at that. And I want you to receive it as I read a few of them to you. Each of these has a verse that corresponds to it that you can read on your own. Just receive this. God is pleased with how he made me. Say that to yourself. God is pleased with how he made me. I am God's child. The spirit of God lives in me. Christ calls me friend. I am a new creation in Christ. I am an ambassador for Christ. Some of you are new and you're like, I'm not sure how that works or if I believe in Jesus or whatever. And it's simple. All you have to do is say yes. You, 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 these things are true of you. You just don't even know it yet. And you can receive this relationship with God, you can receive a restored relationship with your creator right now in this moment. The rest of you, I want you just to receive the truth of who he says you are so that you don't have to be someone who tears down with your words. You can be someone who builds up. That is you. That is us. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would restore confidence, that you would restore hope that you would restore belief, that you would let us know how deeply loved by you we are, how you feel about us, the plans that you have for us, how you hold us close, you give us hope, and that it's out of that abundance that we would then pour out love into those around us, that we would use every opportunity to speak words of life, to speak words that bring hope, to speak words that inspire, to speak words that point others toward you. We want to be those kind of people, God. Fill us with your truth, with your love, with your joy, so that it overflows in the lives of others around us, we pray in Jesus' name.